Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you that you would uh, just give us this opportunity to read your word together, to be guided by your Holy Spirit, and to uh, just be aware of what you're doing all over the world. Lord, you're so amazing. You're so amazing. And uh, Lord, we're just blessed to be here. So please have your way with us and guide us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Starting on a new book. Anybody notice that? Usually if I say turn to such and so book chapter 1, that means we're starting a new book. So, not always, but usually. So, um, the Thessalonian church was established on Paul's second missionary journey. You read this in Acts chapter 16 and 17. And um, you may recall Paul and Silas and actually Timothy. Um, Timothy's not always in the narrative. And, but anyway, the three of them are on this second missionary journey. And um, uh, Paul and Silas uh, find themselves in a Philippian jail. You remember that? They're, they're in, the, in the deep, dark dungeon of Philippian jail. And in the middle of the night, um, they decide to start whining about their conditions. No? Right, just checking, just checking. They started praising the Lord. And uh, about that time, an earthquake happens, right? And their chains fall off, not just any earthquake, but the kind of earthquake where chains fall off of prisoners, right? And if you're the guard of that prison, you'd say, this sounds like capital punishment for me. And so the guard kind of flips out and Paul says, no, don't kill yourself. Um, basically, uh, next thing you know, the guard gets saved and uh, they ask Paul and Silas to leave town quietly, but they say, we're not leaving quietly. We're anyway. So anyway, that was in Philippi. So Paul is unjustly accused. He's beaten uh, horribly. He's uh, unjustly thrown in jail. He's released. And after that, um, basically they get kicked out of town. They go to Thessalonica. They're in Thessalonica. I want you to, this is one of the highlights that I want us to keep in our minds. They're in Thessalonica for three weeks. Three weeks. All right, and we have First and Second Thessalonians as a result of that uh, of the, Paul's relationship with that church. By comparison, Paul was in Ephesus um, for over two years. He was in Corinth for about a year and a half. He's in Thessalonica for three weeks, and at the end of three weeks, basically a bunch of uh, a lot of the the Gentiles, the Greeks, uh, became Christians, but the Jewish uh, uh, unbelievers didn't like what Paul and Silas and Timothy were saying. And so they basically ran them out of town. They ran them out of town and they come to Berea. We see that in Acts chapter 17. And then um, the, Thessalonic, the Thessalonian thugs follow them to Berea and they're in a Berea a very short time. And from there, Paul himself goes on to Athens. Silas and Timothy go back to Thessalonica. And so um, Paul's in Athens by himself, and basically he sends Timothy and, and Silas back to Thessalonica uh, to kind of, you know, hey, we were only there for three weeks, you know, kind of how are they doing, that kind of thing. And then uh, Silas and Timothy meet up with Paul then later in Corinth. So Paul himself goes Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, 
Athens, and then Corinth, um, Timothy and Silas meet up with him uh, in Corinth. And so by this time, um, Paul's getting a report sort of from these guys about how things are in Thessalonica, and now Paul's writing a letter to them from Corinth. Is that background? Everybody okay with that? And so this is actually uh, probably Paul's uh, first letter that he ever wrote um, from Corinth on his second missionary journey, okay? So what I want us to keep in mind as we read through this is that uh, we'll see some of the aspects of Paul's relationship with this church, some aspects of the church itself, after a three-week-long uh, relationship that Paul had with these guys. And so it's pretty remarkable uh, what God can do, in this case, in a short period of time. But in reality, um, God can do whatever He wants, right? And so that's really what we're talking about. So, First Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, which is another name for Silas, and Timothy. So theologians argue about who wrote this book, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And they also argue about who they wrote it to, to the church in Thessalon of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you've heard me talk of any of Paul's letters from the beginning of them at any point in time, you know I'm going to harp on what? Grace and peace. Grace and peace. They always come in that order because you cannot have peace without grace. Right? You can't have peace with a greater military defense. You cannot have peace with good strategy. You cannot have peace with a smart committee. You can have peace from grace. Grace always comes before peace, and peace always follows the grace of God. If we have the grace of God, we have the peace of God. Now, if we don't have the peace of God, I mean, does that mean that everything's perfect and life is great and all of that? No, but it means we need to find the peace of God through the grace of God. We don't find the peace of God with uh, more money, more committees, more worldly security, or more anything else, we find the peace of God from the grace of God. Where does that come from? Grace to you and peace. From what? From God the, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's his title. The Lord Jesus Christ. Not just our Savior, Jesus Christ, but our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be... For him to be our Lord, it means we are surrendered to him. We are completely surrendered to him. See, our Savior, if I said just my Savior, only Jesus Christ, that means I'm going to heaven when I die. It's like fire insurance, right? It means I don't get burned in hell forever. I go to heaven. That's great, right? But our, when he becomes our Lord and we surrender our lives, our will, our hopes, our dreams, our expectations, our agendas, our everything else, that's where we find grace and peace. He goes on, he says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And so Paul is genuinely thankful for these people. He's diligent to pray for them. 
And it's just amazing that he has this relationship with them after three weeks. He says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. And so again, we heard about this earlier. There's a work of faith, there's a labor of love, and there's a patience of hope that Paul has noticed in these people. Right? Now, I want you to notice those three things. Work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. Now, I don't want to be a grammar snob, but, right? Work, labor, and patience are all like active verbs. They're things that I do, right? I work. I labor. I exercise patience. Those are things that I do. Fair enough? Okay. Faith, love, hope. Those are more like things, right? They're nouns. Does that make sense? Everybody see this? And so what do we have? We have the work. I'm sorry. We have the work of faith. We have the work of faith. See, it's like we have this thing in the Christian life, and I think we've, we often get this mixed up. We have what I call being and doing as Christians. As Christians, should you share your faith? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. As Christians, should you um, pray for and support missionaries? Absolutely. As Christians, should you uh, show up at church? You did. Check. Right? As Christians, as Christians we, there's a lot of things we should do, right? Thank you. Right? But there's also a being part of Christianity that I think honestly is neglected because we're a very do-oriented culture. Does that make sense? And if we don't get our head around the being part of Christianity, we miss the entire thing. And frankly, I grew up in my Christian life for, well, for a few decades, having missed this concept. That if we don't catch the being part, and I'm going to say this, the being part first, then the doing is nothing more than empty religion. Got that? If we don't capture the being part, then the doing part is nothing more than empty religion. Oh, it looks good. You probably get a, your name on the lead of glass. You might get your name on the uh, disposable chair in front of you on a plaque, right? You might have people say you're awesome. There's all kinds of cool things that could happen from if we do the right things as a Christian, right? But if we don't do those things as a result of our being relationship, we miss the entire thing. If you get nothing more than that from today, so be it. The being means I'm a sinner. God looked down on me in my broken, sinful condition from before the foundation of time to extend love and grace and mercy 
to me. And my existence is to never forget that and to bring glory and honor to him and live my life saying thanks. Either verbally or through my doing or just through sitting and receiving and hearing. Now, if we all got that order just right and we all just kind of relished the being as Christians... How much fundraising would we have to do? Right? How much? I remember a church I grew up in, the pastor always acted, well, I won't say always, but I I remember some of these times, acted frustrated that the people didn't sing loud enough. (laughs) Have I ever told you guys to sing louder? Right? Have I ever told you, you know, I, I try not to tell you to do anything. I try not to tell you how to do anything. Why? Because I'd rather tell you God loves you and don't forget it. And then guess what? All that being stuff, God works it out. All that doing stuff, God works it out. Right? So what do we have here? The Thessalonians got it after three weeks. Took me a few decades. Thessalonians got it in three weeks. The work of faith. Faith is a being word, right, that produces work. What does is, what is basically the book of James talk about, right? Faith without works is dead. So it, it basically he's saying, if your, works, if your faith doesn't generate some works, then you ought to really just, then your works aren't going to cause your faith, but you ought to go back and like check yourself there, check your heart. Do I really have faith? Because faith without works is dead. You've heard me say before. I'm only saying this because these guys have never been here before. The rest of you just zone out for 10 seconds, right? If I said, hey, there's a tornado coming, it's going to touch down right here in 10 minutes, and I keep on talking, did I believe that there's a tornado coming? No. That's crazy. I mean, that's not some big theological complicated thing, right? There's some, uh, a belief is associated with an action, period, Right? So that's what the book of James is about. So these guys, they have a work of faith. They have a labor of love. I love that word. A labor of love. See, if it's a labor out of love, it's not burdensome. It's, labor's even maybe a misnomer, right? I mean, it's, it's work. Do, do we work for the Lord, right? You ever seen somebody that's working from the Lord out of frustration? Or because the church needed that committee to be filled? Yeah. You ever done that work? Maybe you've been that guy. I've been that guy. Yeah. Tell you what, I'm going to fill this slot for the Lord. They need a children's worker? I'll teach those kids a thing or two. <laughs> Who wants that guy in their class? <laughs> right? Nobody does. Right? Labor of love? Right? It's altogether different. Right? Work of faith, labor of love, and here I like this one. You ready? Patience of hope. Now, one of the sort of subplots of First and Second Thessalonians is that these guys, these Thessalonians, they were anxiously awaiting the return of Jesus. We don't see it. It gets a little more clear in chapter four and five, and then chapter and then Second Thessalonians. Um, so a lot of the, just a lot of more introductory kind of 
ideals in these first three chapters. But Paul's kind of alluding to it. He's, you know, they have, they have patience of hope. Their hope is in the return of Jesus. Now, if I know that Jesus is who he said he was, and that he's coming back, and he might be coming back soon, who knows? And he's got everything under control. Am I uptight? No. I can be patient, right? I can be patient knowing God's in control, right? So I've said, you know, the, you know, the, the labor that's not from love. You ever seen the attempt at patience that's not from hope, right? Like my patience is in uh, Jesus coming back and the economy staying strong, right? Or my, my hope is in uh, Jesus coming back and uh, political uh, stability, right? It's hard to be patient when that's what our hope is in, right? If my hope is in Jesus coming back and he's going to, uh, Philippians tells me that he who began a good work in me will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hebrews tells me that he's the author and the finisher of my faith. I can be patient with that. If my, if my heart rests on the being of the hope of Jesus Christ, then I can be patient. Get it? Right? Being and doing. Make sure we get the being right uh, first. All right? So he says, Paul says he's thankful for these guys, remembering without ceasing their work of faith, their labor of love, their patience and hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Here we go. Christians are elected by God. Notice this, beloved brethren. So based on our, the fact that God loves us, we're elected by God. Now, what does that mean? It means that God chose me to be saved. Right? Simple as that. God chose us to be saved. Okay? God wants us to know this. God wants us to know, he says, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Interestingly, the knowing, we always talk about the Greek word meaning know, is usually gnosko, means an experiential knowledge. This is not that word, right? Because we haven't fully experienced our election, right? Our, the, the culmination of our election is when we go to heaven, right? But for now, we know about it. We know that we are elected by God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 says this, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. If you like election, you like that verse. Right? And we should all love election. Right? But it's theologically complicated, right? Because we know... You know, if I say God chose me to be saved, wait a minute, I thought when I got saved, some preacher gave a gospel message, and we're going to read about the gospel in a minute. Some preacher gave the gospel message, I realized I was a sinner, that I needed to pray the sinner's prayer, I needed to repent of my sins, and I needed to uh, receive uh, the grace and mercy offered through Jesus Christ, right? How many exhortations are there through the Bible that says repent? What's the first word John the Baptist, out of John the Baptist's mouth? Repent, 
right? It's a command for a human being to, to act in response to the gospel message. What did the Philippian jailer say? Uh, he said, hey, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Acts chapter 16, verse 31, right? So what happened? Did God choose me to be saved or did I decide to get saved? Yes, that's the right answer. Yes. And some of us are a little more wired for election, and some of us are a little more wired that I decided to be saved. And you know what? Just don't argue with each other over it. That's all I'd say. Just don't argue with each other over it, because it's biblical truth. Both sides of this, of this coin are biblical truth. And the closest thing I can come, and I want you to turn back to it, because I want you to see it with your eyes. Romans chapter 8. Verse 29. When you're there, say there. Amen. Romans 8.29. For whom he foreknew... Oh, I forgot. God knows everything. Right? Which is super liberating, by the way. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This idea of election versus man's free will is theologically beyond our brains, number one. Number two, please do not argue about it. Please do not argue about it. More churches have been split over this issue. More fights have been created over this issue. More friendships have been abolished over this issue than is entirely necessary. The truth is, this is not to be uh, hounded as whether or not what, what side of whether you're a little more election minded or you're a little more uh, man's will minded or any of that any of that right but if there's a key that at least in my mind helps me to understand it I know that God foreknew that I would say yes to him and God chose God predestined accordingly me to be conformed into the image of his son that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren, that I'll be one of his brethren. Amen. He was the firstborn, set the, set the pace, led the path of Christians to go to heaven, right? And he, made it, he predestined me to be that, right? Does that all fit tidy inside our brains, our human brains? Not necessarily. Was that okay? Yeah. It's okay. Paul uses the word mystery a lot, right? Is that a mystery? Yeah. You okay with mystery? Let me ask you this. If you could figure it out, what kind of God would you be worshiping? One that's about as smart as you are. You want to do that? Well, I am pretty smart. <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> right? So Paul can say, and we're not weird about it, right? Okay, if you were weird about it, now you're not. Thank you. He says, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And so what do we have here? The simple gospel message. Our gospel message, it's not a, it's not a collection of words. Here's this. I'm a sinner. I was born into sin because I'm a, a child of Adam and Eve. Because of my sin problem that I was born with that's in my DNA, I am destined to eternity in hell. 
But God, because of his great love for us, came from heaven to earth to live a perfect life, to be the sacrifice to pay the price for my sin on a cross, and then to overcome death by resurrecting from the, from the dead to the living. And now I have opportunity to be with him in heaven eternally. That's the gospel message. But here's what's funny about that. Well, it's not funny. Here's what's amazing about that, is that what I just said was a series of words, right? But the gospel message is more powerful than just a series of words, yeah. right? Just like this book. This book is a lot of words on a bunch of pages, right? But much more than that, this book is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. Right? This word, this, these sets of words are given by inspiration of God. And they're profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be, check this out, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Can your encyclopedia do that? No. 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 It's not just a, this is not just words on a page. And the gospel message is not just a message of words. The gospel, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power. The Greek word dunamis, the dynamite word, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So it comes in power. The power of God is present whenever Jesus is being proclaimed for salvation. When we share the gospel message with somebody, we share power. We don't just share a gospel message. We share His power. It's amazing that He would entrust us with that. For our gospel also did not come in word only, but in the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit works in our lives. Romans 8.11 says this, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead... Think about that. The spirit, what, what raised Jesus from the dead? How did He do that? <laughs> right? He did it by the Holy Spirit. And if the same Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Son, through His Spirit, I'm sorry, who dwells in you, right? That's the Holy Spirit. That's, that's who delivers the gospel message, and in much assurance. The more we experience the Holy Spirit in our lives, don't we have more assurance? Yes. When you see God work in your lives, you show me an old, you, well, you show me a person that's lived several decades, Right? You show me a person who's lived several decades and has seen the Lord work faithfully on their behalf for decade after decade after decade. And I love being around these people. Why? They've got resilience. They've got resilience. They've got much assurance. They've got much assurance. Now, to be fair, older people, you've got to stay faithful, right? right? Look at the good kings of Judah. Good, good, good. <laughs> Almost every one of them. <laughs> right? At the end. We've got to stay faithful to the end. We've got to go the distance. But I'll tell you, you show me somebody that does that, I'll show you a resilient person. 
I'll show you a person that encourages my faith. And when he says, our gospel didn't come to you in word only. It wasn't just a set of words. It was in power. It was in the Holy Spirit. And it was in much assurance because we see it played out. So that's the gospel message. He says, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. And so, you know, they endured the word in much affliction. You notice this? You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. Is there affliction in being a Christian? Is there tribulation in being a Christian? Yes, for sure. Do we sell people, do we set people up for disappointment when we are so like, um, sometimes I think it's like we're trying to sell Jesus to people, right? I was listening to Chuck Smith this week. He said, he said as Christians, we work on salary, not on commission right? Work with me on this for a minute. You ever met a Christian that actually works on commission, right? It's super awkward, right? You ever walked into a place of business and you can tell how the person uh, is paid? You ever think about that? Check me on this. Welcome to McDonald's. How can I take you? Can I take your order? Is that guy paid? Is that guy like bonused on the productivity of the, of the restaurant? Probably not. Probably not. I bet he works an hour. Welcome to McDonald's. Because if he takes longer to tell it, then he eats up more of an hour. You get paid more per minute that way. Right? Right? You can tell if somebody gets paid. Right? Well, we don't sell Jesus like we're getting some kind of commission. Right? Because... All that does is sets people up to be disillusioned, right? What did Jesus himself say? In this world, John 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulation. Set your clocks by it. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, right? Would it be shallow? I mean, wouldn't it be shallow if we didn't see Jesus carry us through stuff at times? Yeah. We'd just be shallow, anemic Christians. But instead, he says, in this world, you'll have tribulation. The Thessalonians became followers of us, Paul says, and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. I told you at the beginning the, the challenge that they went through there in Thessalonica after Paul having been beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, right? So there is much affliction, but Jesus overcomes, right? So don't, don't expect a pie in the sky until you die kind of Christianity. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And he says, he says also, you became followers of us and the Lord having received the word in much affliction with what? With joy of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you also? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, we all have different personalities. Okay? I get that. That's okay. But joy should be a part of the, of the Christian life. Right? If... I don't think Eeyore is filled with the Spirit. Is that fair? 
right? Joy should be part of the Christian life. My kids like that. They grew up on Eeyore. So that you became examples. I like this. With joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. These guys were equipped for the work of their ministry by the teaching and preaching of Paul and Silas and Timothy. And then they went out and they shared the, the gospel. Just as the gospel didn't come to them in word only, the gospel went out from them, not just in word only, into all Macedonia and Achaia, the area there of Greece. Amazing, amazing effectiveness at the work of the Lord. Verse 8, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. And again, as I said this earlier, do they need a pep rally? No, they need the Word of God. Let me just say this in our, in our day, and I, I, I'm, I'm more and more and more passionate about this all the time. What do we need in our lives as Christians? Think of this as a quiz, right? And with any good quiz, the answer's already been given, okay? What do we need in our lives to be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work? The Word of God. All Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is what we need to be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We don't need a pep rally. You don't need for me to yell at you and tell you how to, how to give more and how to sing louder, right? You need the Word. I need the Word. Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need the Word and the Holy Spirit. The Word instructs us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do what the Word says. Simple as that. And when we get that, when we get that as a result of our being, then guess what? Your faith toward God has gone out so that we don't need to say anything. If I ever have to give pep rallies here, we got big trouble. We got big trouble. If I ever have to give pep rallies, we're in trouble. If anybody has to give pep rallies, we're in trouble. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Beautiful. So they turned to God from idols. We need to make sure we turn to God daily from our idols. And again, we have our idols. They're just different culture. Right? We don't have Baal and Asherah. Right? But if we broke down what Baal and Asherah were all about, we'd say, oh yeah, I think we got those in our culture. Right? Molech, right? Where they sacrifice their children for convenience. Well, we don't sacrifice our children to the God of Molech. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Right? So we just have different, different names of our, of our idols, right? But it's all the same uh, demonic challenges, if you will, right? And so they turn from idols. We need to turn from idols. We need to make sure God is preeminent in our lives. And again, we come to that by recognizing how good he is in our lives, how good he's always been. And so then he says, they wait for his son from heaven. 
right? And you, to wait for his son from heaven. So this is going to be the big focus on these books, right? We talked about that earlier. So much so that actually one of Paul's sort of, when Paul gets to where he's exhorting these guys, part of his exhortation is they're just kind of, you know, hey, Jesus is coming, right? So they're kind of waiting around, right? Being a little bit idle, right? Paul has to say, hey, you know what? You guys need to kind of uh, live a quiet life and work with your hands and provide for your family and, and do stuff. Because, yeah, he's coming back, but you don't know if it's tomorrow or, or a thousand years from now, right? And doesn't that apply to our lives today? Do we get a vibe that maybe Jesus is coming back tomorrow? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Is that possible? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Could it be another thousand years? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I think of all the turmoil that's going on in the world right now. If I lived in um, the 1940s, the early 1940s in this world, and I saw what was happening to the Jewish people, and I saw this, and I saw that, and I bet I would have thought, he's coming back tomorrow. Right? And so I look at, so, you know, not yet, but I look around at what's going on today, and I think, yeah, he could be tomorrow. Here's the point. If it is tomorrow, is there any major adjustments I need to make? Hope not. Hope not. See, the beautiful thing about the, this, this idea, this biblical teaching of the imminent return of Jesus, meaning he can come back at any moment, and that's how it's always been. It was for the Thessalonians, and it's for us. The fact that he can come back at any moment means, again, I'm not saved by works, okay? I'm not saved by works. I've been saved by grace, right? Because, uh, because I was elected and because, and because I uh, said yes to Jesus, right? But, you know, there are probably some things I could say or do that would be super awkward if he came back at that moment, right? Now, again, thinking back to Chuck Smith, Chuck Smith grew up uh, when he was a kid, Never wanted to be in a movie theater because he didn't want to be watching a movie when Jesus came back. Right? You know, because he grew up in a very, as I understand the story, he grew up in a pretty legalistic uh, background and all that, and you weren't allowed to go to movies. And God forbid if, you know, Jesus would come back in that two hour window and you're busted, right? I don't think it's quite like that, right? But there is a, an idea that if I'm looking for Jesus, I love that. Hebrews chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus with my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of, my, of our faith. Right? If that's who I'm looking at, if that's who I'm focused on, right? Then again, everything else kind of falls into place. Right? And so the Thessalonians, they were focused on Jesus. They were focused on his imminent return. Uh, we'll read more about that in the next, you know, in the weeks to come. But know this. Just as we wrap up, Paul sowed good seed of God's word for three weeks to the Thessalonians. For three weeks, he sowed the seed, right? Remember the parable of the sower? The sower goes out to sow, right? What is the seed? The seed is the word of God, right? If I give you a sunflower seed, in that sunflower seed contains all the DNA to make a pretty big sunflower plant right? There's nothing wrong with the seed, nothing inadequate about the seed. The seed's got everything it needs. It's all there, just like the Word of God. 
sower goes out to sow that seed, right? And what's interesting is that seed falls on four types of soil. There's a hard soil that says, mm, not going to hear it, right? There's a crowded soil that says, that's cool. Um, and as soon as I get my portfolio all arranged and, and everything, I'll, you know, I'll give that the attention that it deserves. That is cool. I, I recognize that it deserves attention. And by golly, one of these days I'm going to get around to doing that. Guess what happens to that person? Life happens to that person. And then there's another person that says, yeah, that's awesome. I want that pie in the sky until you die, Christianity. And then uh, when persecution arises or, you know, tribulation because of the word, it gets what? Choked out. And then there's a fourth kind of soil that says, that's awesome. Bring it on. I know, there's, I know that it's not an easy road, but I'm just surrendered to my Lord Jesus Christ. Four kinds of soil. You know, I was talking to somebody not long ago. This is what's kind of interesting. Over the course of my life, and I wouldn't make a doctrine out of this or a formula or write a book about it. Over the course of my life, I've seen the seed get, sown out, get thrown out, right? And I mean, we're throwing the seed out right now, right? And over the course of my life, I've seen, you know, it seems like there's about 25% of the people that just never get it. You know, it seems like there's another 25% of the people that, that get it. They're enthusiastic. They smile. They sing hallelujah. They love the worship praise and, and all of that. But they're just always too busy doing something. And then there's another 25%. Man, they are here when the doors open for the first few months. And then, like, life happened in another way. And then there's about another 25% of people that are just, just warms your heart. Right? Same seed. Right? Same seed. Is there anything wrong with the seed that fell on the, the hard ground? Is there anything wrong with that seed? There's nothing wrong with that seed. There is nothing wrong with the seed. If, if you think, if you say, that's hogwash, guess what? doesn't change the fact that there's nothing wrong with this seed. Yeah. Right? If you say, yeah, that's awesome. I'll get around to it. There's nothing wrong with that seed. If you say, yeah, that's awesome for three months. There's nothing wrong with that seed. But if you say, man, this is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I can't imagine navigating the steps of this life without this seed. Well, guess what? That's the seed that bears fruit. That's the seed that bears fruit. So these Thessalonians, they heard it for three weeks and they bore fruit. We can do that too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your seed is so good, that your spirit is so good, that you allow us to just be Christians. You allow us to just be saved. You allow us to be elected. You allow us to be secure. You allow us to be joyful. You allow us to be patient. And Lord, we have the privilege of bearing fruit 
out of your good seed on the good soil of our heart that can bear fruit that brings glory and honor to you. And Lord, we thank you for that privilege. We thank you that you do that work in our hearts and we pray that you would just do it more and more and more. That as, as Peter said, that we would be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of God. That's who we want to be. Lord, please have your way with us. Guide us and lead us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.